very warm welcome back to Inside Biotech, an exciting podcast from Biotech Connection Los Angeles. For those listeners who might not know, BCLA is a non-profit organization dedicated to inspire, educate, and connect emerging scientists and entrepreneurs to grow and diversify biotech in LA. We want to bring you along for the ride through the exhilarating world of biotech. Here we bridge science with storytelling to bring you the most novel, up-to-date and thrilling news on the biotech world in SoCal. I'm your host, Dr. Yuande Pierce, and if you want to stay informed about current progress and developments in biotech in LA, well then you've come to the right place. The more you come back, the more you'll learn. Each month, I'll be talking with different scientists, entrepreneurs and investors about the cutting edge science that goes on inside their companies touching on a range of themes from across Southern California's biotech industry. This month, we welcome Nick and Damien from Experimental Design, an innovative company that helps scientists become scientific powerhouses through raising over 250 million in seed awards and funding. Hello, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so very much, Yuande. Oh, we've been looking forward to this, so we're excited to get started. The way we like to sort of introduce our guests on the podcast is to start with a little bit of an origin story. And this week, we have the pleasure of having two guests. So let's start there and talk a little bit about both of your origin stories and what led you to this specific line of consulting. Damien, do you want to sort of kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Considering... uh... I guess the origin stories maybe kind of starts with me and then picks up and to join this bandwagon has been my good uh, business partner here, Nick. So what do you think, Nick? Well, begin. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it definitely in terms of, of the company, it, it, it began with you and, and, you know, connects and, and blossoms. So yeah, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I'm originally from Southern California, but right now I currently reside in Boston. And that kind of becomes important because I actually ended up thinking that my path was going to be as a full-fledged scientist and investigator. But my path actually changed changed and shifted from grad school and moved a little bit more into the business, the management side of science. And so I was in in academia for a significant period of time. I went to industry for a short period and then jumped back into uh, academia because I always felt that the science is much more authentic and raw and people were a lot more passionate. The only challenge there was the management and how it ran the business side was never really on par. I think uh, industry has it a little bit better, but Mm -hmm. I think that there was uh, more of a challenge in the, the business side of it. And so that's what led me to Boston. And I didn't really realize that that was going to be a big, huge challenge across the board of all science until like, I figure I started running some uh, cancer research labs in, in, at Harvard Medical School. And then I've been there for maybe a few years, almost, almost 10 years. And I had originally didn't think that my career path was going to go into consulting. Mm-hmm. I thought actually I was going to go back into industry and kind of like take that path, but I just didn't didn't feel as though the the innovative and creative science, or in, with the, particularly in the life science, was there. I think for myself, uh, I wanted to be much more with the innovators and more of the creative people within the science. 
And just fortuitously, like I had one of my good friends from from LA ended up going out to New York and he actually ended up wanted to start a lab. At this point in time, I had start started uh, a few, uh, two or three labs and uh, half a dozen other labs at, the, at that time. But this, uh, this person asked me for a lot of help. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I didn't think anything of it. And I went down to New York and he was like, I can't pay you anything but in New York pizza and a Broadway show. At that point, I didn't even think about <laughs> even asking him for money. <laughs> I didn't even think about asking for money. I just thought I was just helping a friend. And when it came down to it, he was so extremely excited to start his uh, lab. He was like, finally, I went through my undergrad, went through grad school, did my postdoc, and I finally get a chance to call the shots. I have this lab as myself. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. And so once we started going into the lab, I, he showed me where his lab was. And it was just a, uh, a small little space with a bunch of dilapidated pieces of equipment. And he says, isn't this exciting? This is all mine. And I kind of like <laughs> cringed a little bit. And I'm like, well, that's, I mean, there's a, there's a few pieces of equipment that need a little bit repair. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not going to cost that much. I kind of scrunched my eyebrows a little bit thinking, I'm doing, um, it's going to cost more to refix those equipments than it is to outright buy it. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, I'll figure it out. And I'm like, all right, where's the rest of your space? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's here. And we went down a different floor. And I'm like, why is your lab space not in the same space? He goes, oh, this is all they had. I'm like, did you ask for more? He goes, no, I didn't. So they separated your lab two different floors. And I'm like, he goes, yeah, is that a problem? Okay, you didn't ask for that. All right, so where's your office? And so we went outside the building across the street into another building. And I'm like, your office is in another building? He goes, yeah, because this is where the clinical side, and I figured this is what uh, this is. This is fine. And I'm like, um, where is your mouse facilities? And so he was like, oh yeah, so that's in another building. As he started proceeding to tell me all of these things, every single thing I kept saying, what did you ask for? What did you ask for? And apparently he didn't ask enough. And I said, where did you get your advice? He goes, oh, uh, my mentor, my PI. And I'm like, so how much did he tell you? He gave me a round number, but it was a number that was that was far lower than he could have even asked for. And I said, how come he gave you that number? He goes like, well, he said that's what he did when he started. But his PI started like almost 20, 30 years ago. And I'm like, you know, you should have negotiated for more. He goes, I didn't know. And that's the part where I was just kind of like, you could see all of his excitement to do the science just left his face. And he was so horrified. And that's when I started like, all right, all right, let's, this is what I do. Let me figure, let's see if we can come up with solutions that will be much more uh, apt to be able to help you. So we were able to kind of like restructure some of his resources and his recruitment and hiring and just the overall business side of it which really helped him to kind of focus. He's no longer at that institution. He actually ended up going to a different institution. But that kind of goes to show you that like, like these kinds of negotiation skills was a huge, huge uh, challenge for a new, new budding scientist. And then from that, I started uh, helping a, a scientist after scientist. And then the consulting started taking off. And I was giving talks 
to uh, different postdoc associations and, and institutions across the country. And one of those uh, one of those places is when I first met uh, met Nick at UCSD. Hey, thank you for sharing your your origin story that led you to this point before you met Nick, Damien. I think it's really interesting for our listeners to hear someone who's made that transition out of academia into industry and then wanted to go back into academia, but then actually ended up filling this really obvious unmet need that so many people who would stay in academia to fulfill that dream of finally being able to open your own lab and then to find that actually... You know, of course, your friends didn't know these things because it's not part of the the skill set that I think that you that you are focused on on your postdoc. So, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really helpful for a lot of our listeners. And Nick, I'm excited to hear some yeah, of absolutely. your chapter and what happened next. <laughs> we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. My name is Kathy, and I'm the co-executive producer at Inside Biotech, a podcast presented to you by Biotech Connection Los Angeles. And I'm here with some messages from our sponsor. Canon Design is a global living-centered design firm that has helped leading biotech and science companies create spaces around the world where people and science flourish. They are consistently recognized as one of the most innovative design firms on the planet. Syncor is improving patient lives using pioneering XMAB technologies to discover and develop better biotherapeutics. Zancor has created or contributed to over 20 therapeutic antibodies and cytokines in ongoing clinical trials, and three XMAB antibodies are FDA-approved or authorized under emergency use. Zancor is looking for scientific talent and offers the opportunity to work on cutting-edge biology in an environment to grow your career. And this year, they move into brand new labs in Pasadena. Learn more and apply at xencor.com. Siddhartha Mukherjee, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author and cancer researcher, tells us, Science begins with counting. To understand a phenomenon, a scientist must first describe it. To describe it objectively, he must first measure it. As fellow scientists, we all agree that measurements are the foundation on which everything else is built. And yet, as we start to apply machine learning techniques to more areas of research, there is an appalling lack of measurements in the machine learning field. Brainom.ai changes all of this with our data compiler, the first measurements-based tool for bioinformatics research. If you want to incorporate measurements into your computational work, be it biology, chemistry, genomics, or physics, then visit www.brainom.ai for a free demo version of the software. You can say I distinctly remember absolutely needing to talk to Damien excuse me, who I didn't know was called Damien at the time, um, but being very adamant and patiently waiting. I knew it was going to be a long conversation. There was, you know, at least two or three people that stayed after the talk uh, because, you know, as uh, that material has actually evolved into things that um, are extremely useful um, and, and very actionable. Um, but even, even way back when um, it was so valuable and there's so many people that were going to, that wanted to, to speak with him. So I just waited patiently so much so that, um, I convinced Damien to, uh, push his flight back the next day so that we could meet uh, in person (laughs) in San Diego. Yeah. Um, but my, my story actually starts in a different country. Um, I'm Canadian, uh, French Canadian, uh, which becomes relevant. Um, and I worked in Vancouver, uh, all my backgrounds in chemistry and, uh, 
beginning in undergrad and, and even in other industries before that, I, I was a manager kind of all over the place, um, but sort of elbowed my way into uh, a lab that was fairly small, all postdocs, uh, but not run very well uh, in terms of where things were placed and how things were organized and uh, just processes. And so I you know, elbowed my way through all the, you know, started by convincing the PhD students uh, and then eventually getting to the postdocs and saying, like, just just let me figure this out for you. <laughs> and uh, that just blossomed into me continuing uh, being a lab manager uh, essentially everywhere. Um, so between Damon and myself, you know, we've managed every kind of lab um, from, you know, large scale, you know, thinking over 50 people all the way down to small scale uh, being number one. Um, and so I noticed that I kept on doing that and that's actually what got me to, to transition over to the U S and, um, which is a, a tangent in itself, but following a different passion, um, I made my, my way down to, uh, San Diego and was found a new lab, uh, got to be number one set that lab up, set up partnerships. And once it got stable, moved on to the next one and did it all over again. And throughout this process, it was making friends that were postdocs and watching them go on to become PIs or start companies and really having no guidance. And, you know, me at the time being sort of a young 20 year old kid, they're coming back to me, you know, PhDs, you, you think they have it all figured out. And uh, I was like, well, how do I do this? And how do I do that? Oh, well, here's the forms. Like, contact this person. Oh, this person knows how to help. And just essentially doing the, the same thing that Damien was talking about with his friends and, and just doing it again with mine. And um, through that process, realizing that there was a huge gap. Um, and even more mm -hmm. frustrating was that there was people on the business side that understood what was going on. It wasn't the first time that they were going through it. And we're really coming up with arrangements and contracts that benefited them personally, uh, well, maybe not personally, but benefited them you know, as an institution or a company where it was very difficult uh, for the people that I was trying to help. And so that was really the, the impetus to begin my own business. And through that process, heard about Damien's talks, you know, made my way over to, to it to go talk to him, uh, essentially coming to Damien, asking him to, to mentor me in creating my own uh, consulting firm, uh, where Damien quickly put the puzzle pieces together and said, oh, you know, you do this part and I do this part, you know, instead of competing, let's just join forces. Because at the time, EDC was, you know, probably three, four steps ahead of, of where I was, you know, I was in the process of applying for business licenses mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And Damien just said, you know, forget that, just join me on this. Let's start here and then we'll take off from there. And that was August of 2017. August 2017. That's when it was. Gosh, I love that. That I, I love that you decided to join forces and actually um, for you to, to connect in this way is quite, quite kismet and to both have found this unmet need and to have identified postdocs who needed this help. And what you were saying, Nick, about kind of companies who, or on the industry side, the contracts that they were creating was to benefit, you know, that enterprise and not necessarily in the best interests of the postdoc. I just think of myself before I left 
um, academia and sort of the idea of starting my own lab seemed sort of intangible. I wouldn't really know where to start, Mm -hmm. but it feels like through EDC you're really providing that that huge kind of um, support in order to be able to do that in a way that is really accessible and I mean your slogan is manage to make science easier which I think is brilliant it's very catchy and it's very effective (laughs) so I'd be interested to hear a little bit about how it came about and how your company really embodies this objective now we're in 2022 uh this started in 2017 we we have a whole pandemic in the middle there how has this unfolded no thanks for asking me um that's a big a big deal of the management managing to make science easier came from I know personally I actually had to learn a lot more of, uh, about just the practical business side and I actually went through a lot of uh, paid a ton of money time and energy to <laughs> come up with that sl- slogan and it was in and around my own management training and in and around marketing and it is the one thing that definitely has helped us to kind of like really stay focused on being able to come up with different ways to support this statement. And when you're working in management, it's not, uh, there's only a few key metrics and measurements to kind of see what is progressing, but there's always this sense of the people side of things that uh, not many people in business think about. And people really matter in the sense that how do how do you actually support the innovative and creative people at the uh, at the helm of these uh, scientific endeavors and most often this the the irony of it is science as you already know is not so easy it is actually uh challenging so one of the things we have to be able to do is understand the 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 practical parts of of business is the management or how to be able to create uh, resources and facilities to help help them out but I think that if we're thinking about being able to support it, we have to come up with some kind of uh, simplistic way of being able to articulate that. And when people already think about management, especially as a uh, as a scientist, you're like, ugh, right? It's just this kind of like, I, I don't like this. This is kind of boring. These are the things that yeah. aren't uh, necessary. These are intrusive and regulations. And uh, it's all of the things that we don't like. And one of the other uh, tags and sayings that I was going to be going was I originally I wanted to use was we love management so you don't have to. And that oh, actually gets a little tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was a, that was very catchy for it, but that works more for like a sales point because you yeah. get a lot of scientists, they understand that management is important, but they don't want to do it. And so they, uh, but what we had to be able to do is how do you, we had to make it more internal for ourselves. So it, it, the managing to make science easier is a good go-to thing because when we're coming up with ideas and solutions for a, a business solution or financial solution or some kind of uh, human resources solution, we're constantly ask, asking ourselves, is this going to help make the science easier for the people that we're working with? Is this a, the right way? And so sometimes we, in in management, we optimize to make things easier for ourselves. And that actually is where things go wrong when you think about these big, huge academic institutions or these big, huge corporate companies is because they're, tr- they're trying to maximize, their, uh, maximize and optimize for the, 
the company or the uh, the institution. It's not necessarily for the actual uh, innovative science. And so this allows us to kind of be much more creative. And so we saw this kind of like gap for these uh, these technical founders and being able to kind of like help them to say, all right, we will come up with different management strategies and solutions to help uh, you focus on what you do best, your science. Yeah, I love that. And also that slogan, it sounds like it's actually also a mission statement for the company as well and has a lot of meaning behind it. And because you're dealing, you're in the academic space but also in the industry space i imagine that that meaning of management and how that applies um there needs to be a little bit of agility there because it's not going to be one size fits all but with the baseline exactly. being making science easier and keeping this this spirit of innovation and, and wonder alive i think that's really great and i i'm so glad that you have been able to um to start this um this business and, and keep it going so far um so the question i had thinking about okay if you're an academic and you get to the point where you finished you know your second postdoc and you want to start <laughs> your own lab you're a budding scientist what would it take to create a successful lab in terms of first steps so if they didn't know about edc um how did what does this actually look like practically based on the experiences you've had so far it, this is definitely uh, sort of a Damien's department and, and where he shines. Um, there's a pretty clear division of labor um, between uh, what I do and what, what Damien does uh, in terms of partnerships. Um, but what, what I will add to sort of your, your statement here is that this doesn't just apply to PIs that are looking to, their, to go into their lab. Um, this transition is the same for you know someone who's finished that second postdoc that wants to start a company, or someone who's finished the second postdoc that wants to start a lab. You know, it, it they're they're different. You know, it, they're individual in their own way, but the mission and eventually what we'll talk about is the vision uh, ends up having uh, the same core principles mm -hmm. and that transition and that period and the motions that go along with uh, this whole transition. It, is almost exactly the same. I would say the biggest difference is really the vocabulary. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that you're bringing up the vocabulary because the vocabulary matters a lot in which we try to articulate and communicate some internal uh, perception or uh, of the future of one's science or research. It's basically what we call the vision, right? These vision statements, mission statements, so many different ways of being able to articulate what you want to do or what you desire to do. Um, and I mean, Yawanda, you were talking earlier is that you're passionate and interested in, in people's narratives, their stories. And that's what it all comes down to. Uh, when we think about somebody who wants to start something new, start something novel, it's never been done before. And I think what we try to do is juxtapose it against what other people say can be done. And most often people don't realize it's not they're they're coming from their practical sense of what has already been established or what is already out there. But when you're thinking of new ways of looking at your science, nobody knows what it is better than you do as a scientist and what holds a lot of uh, scientists. What we found that holds a lot of scientists back is that self doubt 
the the uncertainty right. the um the what you, what you call it that imposter, imposter syndrome, syndrome. <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> and i don't know somewhere maybe you can also speak to this as well as somewhere during our graduate and postdoctoral training we get beat down so much to to prove and prove and prove so many times it takes a toll on your own self-confidence and this is where we kind of help to anchor a scientist into kind of getting back into themselves and what we call like our EQ or EQ de development or emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. Another way of saying it is just kind of the soft, soft skills of being able to say, why do you love this science? Why do you, what was it about this that you really resonated about it? And what, what is it that you continue want to do? Because this path isn't easy. It's never easy. And so we help them to kind of like tease that out through their own origin stories, through their own uh, trials and errors. And we kind of help them craft that into a specific vision of what they see into the future. And that vision of what is into the future is just a story. It's just a narrative. It's like a Martin Luther King, I have a dream type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we reverse engineer the whole process from that. That becomes the most easiest way because if they don't have that, we can't come up with any practical sets of timelines, financial support, or even uh, personnel support, because if they can't even articulate that to themselves. And so the vision statement turns into things like the mission statement or the research statement or any kind of parts that convinces any other person. And we help them to kind of like articulate that their own personal why. The better they know that, the way the better it is for us to help them to now articulate it to uh, different people that are are what I call the invested interests or the investors, whether that be people with the money, people with the uh, with the skill set, and people who have the the talents to actually like get it going, management and business wise. But if they don't know that, this is where the imposter syndrome and the uncertainty, and it just goes off off the off the course and i think these are things that are super helpful um nick and i we try as much as possible to align our own purpose this is why we still we are just as excited about their work in the science and when we when we understand what they're trying to do we can come up with different ideas and solutions to help and support them and the more we do that the be the easier it just becomes in that in that manner so we don't have to like step on their toes and saying you're doing good science or bad science we actually help them to do the science that they best feel is is successful we just become much more nimble on the on the the management side of things and it and it's definitely a joy to work with them so kind of like knowing your why and then mm -hmm. kind of like knowing who you are and then like knowing like where you want to go, what do you want to do? Where like from those are like some practical aspects of knowing your science, who you who do you who do you want to work with and some of your like timelines in and around there. Everything else becomes easier from a quote practical business standpoint. Nick can it's tell you whether it's yeah. easy or not. <laughs> well, it, it's it's amazing how difficult when someone truly asks you what do you want yeah. can be it's you know and, and it's a pretty significant part of the the beginnings and the onboarding of of what we do with new clients because truly we cannot you know our guiding principle of just how do we make science easier right 
And we can't do that until we know what it is you want. And so in, in all the things that we do and in, in a lot of our material, you'll hear sort of the, the same mantra, well, what do you want? Like, is this what you want? And once you figure that out and once you're clear and you have you know, a good idea of that, that image of where you're trying to get, the the difficult decisions and you know we can speak to to many but one of my favorites is uh we had a client on the east coast was very very successful and was offered a very enticing package to move down south uh south of the us mm-hmm. i'll keep names <laughs> out of all of this but it was it was very generous um and you know, gut check that offer. And for sure, anyone would say yes right away. Fortunately, we had done a lot of work with him in figuring out what would make his science easier based on what it is he wants, right? Because we really fit in this gap that on the surface, it really looks like the interests are at odds, right? The ones Mm -hmm. from the entrepreneur that want to have the great science that want to come up with incredible solutions uh, versus, you know, you have more business uh, interests, which are, you know, to make money or, you know, to, to get more grants or to, you know, get to market, whatever uh, sort of those interests are for the other parties. And without knowing what you want, you can't navigate that in a way that's going to be successful in the long term. I mean, maybe you could sort of bull in a china shop make it through struggle bus through the whole journey but (laughs) (laughs) you know and and it's fine okay yeah people have done it um but i I don't think that that's if you had the option of not doing it that way and making it through to the same result but in a way that was a lot easier on you a lot easier on the individuals that are supporting you you know, a, a lot of people tend to focus a lot on the professional side, mm-hmm. forgetting completely about sort of the personal side of things. And if that you know support system at home is not with you, the work side, the professional side becomes you know, exceptionally harder. Like it, it's just it's not the same experience. And the hard days are even more difficult. And the good days just aren't as good. And yeah, we actually like we actually had. Sorry to interrupt there, Nick. We had one client. Uh, we asked her to uh, ask her her spouse what did uh, what did he want, and he was, she was like, "What does my spouse have to do with it?" I'm like, "Just ask him." And <laughs> and she, and she and her her spouse goes, "Oh wow, you actually are interested in my career." She's like, oh my God. Yeah. She was like, oh my God. I had no idea. I figured you were always so supportive. I just kept going. And he was like, no, I want this, this, this. And she goes, like, wow, this changes what I'm going to be doing for what I want because I, I, my spouse is included in that vision for what I want for my future. You see how those types of questions, it, we always just think it's just purely one sided. It's, it's much more, it's much more holistic. And just to, to go back to the story that I started, I just realized I didn't finish. That client I was talking about that got the great offer to, to move down south, he actually ended up refusing it. Uh, oh, really? He ended up staying on the East Coast and uh, 
took an offer that was, gosh, uh, half to a third. Half, yeah. Half, half yeah. Of what that is. Uh, of, wow. of what he was offered. Um, I can tell you right now that since uh, he's far surpassed what was going, the support that he was going to be getting down there. But all that came from knowing what he wanted right away, knowing that this was a small step in the right direction, but was also a step that he could do, that his family at home could do, that everyone around him was going to be able to support in this very difficult endeavor. You know, it's fun and all. Yeah, everyone enjoys it, and it's sort of this great thing to talk about when it's over. Uh, but it, you know, it's not rainbows and butterflies the whole time. Mm-hmm. I love. I mean, this this question of what do you want? It's so simple. It's one that I think we take for granted, or we assume that we know what we want, that our wants change. And I think, especially coming from the perspective, as as you said, Nick, to clarify, it's not just academics wanting to open labs. It's you know, it could be. A, a, a business entrepreneurs like it's a lot broader than that but I feel like the mindset of a postdoc you are having to be very focused you don't really necessarily have the luxury of reflecting on these bigger questions and I love how unique this approach to consulting is because it like you mentioned Damien it's reverse engineering from that question of you know what do you want what does that really mean and unpacking that to be able to streamline your services and your support to the individual and help them to begin their journey and for their narrative to unfold, which I think is really unique and also quite telling because I definitely felt like when I was a postdoc, and maybe you'll you'll agree with both of you both have backgrounds in um, as as postdocs, but. Uh, I wasn't often thinking about what I wanted because you're in, you're thinking about what your PI wants and you're often having mm-hmm. to kind of sort of make decisions based on what it could be, you know, your collaborators or the funding or, you know, what is needed mm-hmm. for the paper, which obviously takes so long <laughs> that outside of that, you're not Contact. really having that time to reassess. So I think having that focus from the start is really unique and, like you said, this person who turned down that very, sounds like an incredible offer for half because they brought in so many other different answers to the questions, what do you want? I think that holistic approach is really unique. So thank you for sharing those examples and also for for elaborating a little bit on how this process works and how you approach this. Well, our, yeah, our absolutely. Clients... <laughs> right. so I guess my next question is, so it depends on the the client who you're working with of course but um would you say that there are like three most important parts of having an efficient and an effective um whether it is a lab or otherwise uh, in terms of you know making science easier after you've answered that question of what you want is there something that you feel applies to to everyone that is kind of universal and how do you ensure that you have these in place before you get it up and running? I'll let Nick elaborate a little bit more on this question, but I wanted to like preface this and kind of like have a segue statement here is because when we think about what people want, most of the time when we, they come to us to say what they want, they kind of frame it in a way of what they don't want. Like meaning, oh, I don't want to run out of. I don't want to run out of money. I don't want to have bad employees. I don't want uh, to fail. And that 
in essence, is already kind of guaranteed ways of kind of like setting up those things. And it kind of misdirects our kind of desires and what we do want. And so we, the first orientation is to get people to understand what they don't want isn't what we're trying to help them to avoid. What we try to get them to do is move towards what they do want and then be able to move towards it because there's just it's too nebu- it's too nebulous to come up with ways of trying to protect one and so yeah. most of people tend to get into these these entrepreneurial uh, ventures uh, whether that be an academic or an industry through the lens of a risk uh, avoiding risk and so through this is we're we're trying to do is try to help people to like narrow down on some of the practical aspects and it's not always just money and I think people always just see use one metric as money mm-hmm. as this unit mm-hmm. of measurement of success. And I think once we get them to focus on that, then we can help them to like move into some practical aspects. And we've narrowed it down. And we always tell people, if you can just do these three particular things, you don't get anything from us. Just <laughs> please focus on these three particular areas. And I'll let Nick kind of like express those points. Yeah. So... So, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Damien. I'll just say, yeah, if I was thinking money, that's a big issue, isn't it? Like finding funding is definitely something that floats around scientists' heads, but it would be interesting to hear about what that looks like, but also like um, how to find team members and all of these other things we, we think about. So Nick, yeah, please, um, could you elaborate? So yes, <laughs> absolutely. Prefaced with, you know, most of the time, you know, this is a specific question about an effective lab. But you know, before all this, we we would have done a lot of work with figuring out that simple question of what is it that you want, and we do a lot of communication work, uh, which is going to be important for the individual. But for the lab itself, first of all, first and foremost, is people. You know, we're looking to hire the best people, but more importantly, we're looking to hire people that are aligning with your goals, your mission, with what you're trying to do. Second to that would be just the community that surrounds everything. Uh, you know, we tend to call this, you know, culture, company culture, lab culture, uh, sort of whatever uh, industry you're in. Um, you know, with that, we're looking to find the support that surrounds not only your your company but also the community around yourself. Right? We're looking to create those lanes of communication that we talk about so much, but we don't always execute of, you know, tell me when something goes wrong, right? It's amazing how much we need to purposefully implement times where we talk about processes and talk about the tasks and how we can redefine everything because along the way we learn how everyone starts to work and what we're better at and what we're not as good at or what we enjoy and what we don't want to. And more than enough, it's this community that working together with the right people, you discover that the things that you don't enjoy and the things that you're not very good at and that take you hours take someone else five minutes and they love doing it and they'll do it over and over again and vice versa. So you end up with just a bunch of elements that you love working on, which makes coming to work a lot easier, which leads to sort of this third most important part, which is the resources, 
right? Yeah. If you know what you want, then you'll know what you need. And again, oftentimes we refer to resources as money. Um, but in this case, we're not just talking about money. Obviously, you know, money is the fuel that's going to keep this car going. Um, but there's a lot of engineering that went into the car before it got going. So you know what you need in terms of time, know what you need in terms of skills, in terms of people. Uh, and this bleeds into a lot of sort of the, the social sciences or sort of the soft skills that we talk about. You know, if you're entering more of a industry side, you know, you need someone that's going to go and sell the science to bring in the funds. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're on the research side, you know, you need to know who's going to either train for those most, ex most important experiments, um, or who comes in with the skills and can, you know, sit on that flow cytometer right away and just bang out and get the, the data that you need. So it's people, community and resources. Yeah, thank you, Nick, for, for elaborating on that and just uplifting some of those key things. I think that, that, that you're right. I like that you actually ended with the resources because, and as you said, Damien, just to add some like context and preface it with the fact that it's like not what don't you want. So it's not fear or risk averse led. It's actually like bigger thinking and sort of moving to towards something bigger. And that alignment is so important and thinking. Mm -hmm you know, as a team and who you need and how to have that shared vision and mission seems like a really, um, a really effective approach. Uh, just a bit, I wish we could talk for, for longer. There are so many more questions that we would love to hear. But I think one question that I had just to tie everything together is you're, you're, you have quite a, a broad team. You have a podcast, um, as well, just we can shout that out on on Inside Biotech yeah, that you know you also have um, a wider team aside from just yourself, and a lot of the services that you offer in in terms of what it is you actually um, are consulting on, um, there's quite a, a broad range of things. So I mean, thinking ahead, how do you feel like EDC? Um, will grow or how would you like it to grow? I know that you have, you know, you work with negotiations and recruitment and startup budget expertise and, and vendor relations. I feel like this conversation has been very kind of big picture and, um, and sort of, you know, thinking about these, um, these things about what you, what you want, but on like a, a ground level, uh, are there any sort of goals that you have coming up in the next year for how you would like to sort of grow EDC and, and grow and, uh, increase the support that you have for your clients. Yeah, I think the bigger parts for ourselves is starting to work with a lot more of the biotech entrepreneurs because there's a lot of uh, investors and monies and and VC contracts that are entering into this field, uh, especially coming off of the heels of the pandemic. I think there's a lot of they're showing a lot of need for life science. Uh, uh, companies and the industry is definitely budding. And I think one of the things we want to be able to do is start uh, working with a lot of these other uh, companies that are starting within this this area, and then also helping a lot of our current uh, current and future academic uh, researchers and uh, faculty to make that transition to the commercial yeah. side of things. I think that a lot of academics don't realize that their their knowledge and their information is of 
value, not only just on the knowledge space, but on a societal base as well. So that's kind of a big picture side of things. But then some other practical parts is being able to, of course, scale, uh, scale the consultancy by hiring. We are definitely hiring more people as we speak and trying to come up with more other solutions to kind of like develop the, t- the tools to manage the time, money, and efforts that we're trying to do. Um, I think that this, as you've already started to see, there's a, there's a lot of uh, people out there trying to support the, these endeavors and it's going to require some time. So I think within this next, uh, this next six to nine months, Nick knows more about the timeline, but we're going to be doing a lot more speaking, uh, engagements, a lot more, uh, a lot more workshops and seminars that will be coming uh, down the pipeline. And so just kind of like dropping some of our own uh, experiences, what were the things that trends that we've been seeing, these things that can potentially help others as well. And I think these are stuff that like, like everybody could probably hopefully learn from and and as well, just find other uh, other people to help help along the way and kind of like align uh, or join forces for lack of a better term. Great. I mean, I think the EDC story um, narrative is definitely not uh, not anywhere near um, the you know the the big kind of final chapter and kind of what um, will happen over the next few years. So I'm really excited to see how it unfolds, and especially as you are supporting so many people in this unique way to see how this actually um, will help them and, and their, their stories um, grow and develop over time. I just wanted to go back and sort of full circle connect to your your friend, Damien, who you met and like thinking of the, the questions that he didn't ask and not knowing that he could ask for more lab space and things like that. I think it's just a perfect example of why uh, UDC is so needed and the unmet need that you're fulfilling is really encouraging for me personally, um, but I know for a lot of our listeners. Um, so for anyone who wants to hear more, I mean, it's great that you're going to maybe be doing more speaking engagements and things like that. I know that you have a newsletter um, and a podcast. Uh, where would be the best place for people to keep you know up to date with with edc and um and what what's coming up the best place to sort of stay up to date with us is definitely on linkedin um you know edc itself has a page our podcast the eqiq podcast uh has its own page as well but you know they all meld together on uh, our company page uh, as well as our website uh, all of our contact information is there. Uh, both myself and Damien are always, always up for uh, chatting with entrepreneurs and budding scientists and PIs. Uh, so this is this is what we do. And so just feel free to reach out and we can set something up. Amazing. And for, for the listeners, we'll have this in the show notes, but it's experimental-designs.com. Uh, and so you can find more information there. But Damien and Nick, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Biotech this month. And hopefully we'll be able to have you back on in a, a year or so. I love all the stories that you shared and I love your, your vision and your mission. And we really appreciate the time. Yawanda, thank you so very much. And Again, we really enjoy what we do. This is a, a we count our blessings every day to kind of work with great innovative uh, innovators and great thinkers. So, like yourself, and we we sometimes pinch ourselves and say, "Wow, I can't believe we get to do this." 
Thank you, Damien, so much. And thank you again, Nick, for, for being our guest on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To find out more about BCLA, check out the show notes and our website, bcla.org. If you like the show, then please, please, please subscribe. It only takes a second. And if you have another spare second, please share. This podcast is a BCLA production. Thank you to our amazing podcasting team, co-producers Kathy Grosh and Ananta Wadwa, Shay Michael for sound design, Daniel Grace for the fantastic theme music, and of course, our core sponsors, Bioscience LA, the USC Michelson Center Bridge Institute, CNSI at UCLA, and the Keck Graduate Institute, as well as our episode sponsor, Brainome and Canon Design. If you're interested in exploring other BCLA events, check out the events page on our website, bcla.org. We hold a lot of exciting events from interactive networking events to informative panels, and we would love to have you there. So do keep up to date with upcoming events. That's all from me for now. See you next time.